All right. The Bible and transsexuality, um, real quick, we're talking about something that is extremely sensitive in our society today. If we were to, to look at this, even the title itself, some were questioning, you know, okay, what kind of, what's going to be your title for the sermon? Because remember when I was doing the study on, or the sermon on homosexuality, we had news channel and all that kind of stuff. Well, I was wondering what's going to happen. So someone even recommended, well, make it just like the sermon on homosexuality, which is the Bible and homosexuality. So it's the Bible and transsexuality. But I wanted to make sure that this would be a term used by the transgender population. And so this is actually from a transgender website, the, the phrase itself, because there are words that are not politically correct, um, words that are old, passe, if you will, um, within the transgender population. And so this is one of the words that was from the website, so I thought it was kosher from that standpoint. Um, but beyond that, it's still a word that needs to be understood. And that said, how many of you do not know what the word transgender means. Be honest, because I had some people in our Bible study on Thursday, one person raised his hand. Anyone? So everyone knows what transgender means. Very interesting then. See if we can look at some of these words and terms. As far as issues in our country right now, North Carolina, because of HB2, uh, the House Bill 2, which was back earlier um, from last year and then later signed into law this year um, by, the pres uh, by the governor of North Carolina, Pat McCrory. Um, it's the only state that has pending legislation or that had pending legislation that has passed into law, um, which took place earlier this year. And all this was going on around the time with the target, with their policy. And I actually was reading Target's policy. I was reading the HB2. I was reading the federal government's, uh, the Department of Justice, the Department of Education, and their joint letter to all the public schools, uh, public school districts, I should say, throughout the country. And it's very interesting because I think, kind of like the Holy Spirit class, there's a whole lot of wavelengths like this going on that I've noticed in this whole subject matter. And so we're wanting to not only try and get some clarity on this, but then also look at it biblically, because that's the, our intention as Christians. What is it about the Bible and in Christians today and this subject matter that we want to deal with? And so while things are going on in the state of Georgia with the Freedom of Religion, the Freedom of Religion Act and everything taking place then in Mississippi, uh, North, North Dakota, um, elsewhere, as you see all throughout the map, a lot of stuff going on. Lawsuits, including... North Carolina, after HB2 came out, um, the governor and the state of Carolina actually has filed lawsuit on May the 9th against the federal government. And then three hours, approximately three hours later, the federal government then on the same HB2 bill countered lawsuit against the state of North Carolina. And they're threatening to um, withhold millions of dollars from the state as well as the University of North Carolina. Well, that is gone off in a firestorm. So there's a lot of things that have been taking place, and you've been seeing it on the news, been reading about it. Some of which, again, trying to investigate every single thing has been misinformation. Here's what's not misinformation. This came out May 13th, a few days after the lawsuits 
between the state of North Carolina and the federal government that the joint letter from the Department of Education, Department of Justice wrote to all the school districts. And I'm taking part of the letter because it's about so many pages long. Part of it says that there's compliance with Title IX, which was back in the early 70s, 1972 or something like that. Title IX came out, and it's with regard to um, religion and, and discrimination and so on and so forth. It says in this paragraph, as a condition of receiving federal funds, a school agrees that it will not exclude, separate, deny benefits to, or otherwise treat differently on the basis of sex any person in its educational programs or activities unless expressly authorized to do so under Title IX or its implementing regulations. This is what actually came out. What I saw all over the news sites was an executive order by the President of the United States. I cannot find verification of an executive order. So again, sometimes we read stuff and then we share it on social media as if it is something that actually happened. And happened. At least if it is, let me know. Give me the link. I'll revise this sermon and and uh, put it up on the audio section on the website. Further in this letter from these joint departments was specific to public schools in the restrooms and locker rooms, among other items um, of interest, because this is where the big debate is, right? That's why it's known as the bathroom bill in North Carolina. A school may provide separate facilities on the basis of sex, but must allow transgender students access to such facilities consistent with their gender identity. And if you want the PowerPoint, I've got the footnotes and everything. A school may not require transgender students to use facilities um, inconsistent with their gender identity or to use individual user facilities when other students are not required to do so. A school may, however, make individual user options available to all students who voluntarily seek additional privacy. Layman's terms, bathrooms are, are open. Locker rooms are open for transgender students to go into what they identify as their gender. So what that means then is if I was born, I was born with male body parts and the doctor says, okay, Mitch Davis born, you know, 1968, male. And then years later, I say, I don't feel male. And whether I have surgeries to change my body or what have you, if I take hormones and change, whatever it is, I don't feel male. I feel female, and I identify with the term female, or I identify with some other term other than male then I would be qualified as transgender. In, in some cases, depending on state to state, you have to actually have identification of the name change, legal name change on birth certificate, so on and so forth. Other places don't. There's, there's a lot of confusion from a legal standpoint from, because of these things. But that's basically what we're talking about when we're looking at a transgender population using the locker rooms. Well, with that in mind then, I want you to think about with this sermon where we the children of God come into play on this subject matter and particularly because if we're trying to share the gospel with those in our population, at some point you may come across someone who is of a transgender population. Uh, I remember when Julie and I lived in St. Louis, we had a Bible study with someone who um, was cross-dressing. 
And looking back in hindsight, while cross-dressing is not the same as transgender, there is a correlation between the two as well. Uh, not a necessary correlation, but there is one. And so, you know, you'll come across someone in this population that said, we're talking about a population of approximately, according to government numbers, 700,000 among, what, 300, 350 million in our country? So you're looking at two-tenths to maybe as high as three-tenths of 1% of the population that has declared themselves transgender, okay? Um, so very small number, but some would say, well, the numbers should not matter because we don't want to discriminate any single person in this country. Well, we should not discriminate any single person in this country. Um, that said, our goal, my goal personally, and I, I would like to think it's your goal as a child of God, is not to disrespect or disparage transgender people. Right? If we're trying to share the gospel with the world, would you try to disrespect the people you're trying to seek and save? It's interesting, however, that we may do that very thing we desire not to do. So it's our goal through the sermon, through our interactions with people of the world, not to disrespect or disparage them, if you will. Our goal is to speak truthfully in love. And therein lies the imperative word, the operative word, truth. That's what this is going to boil down to. When, when you get to the end, the, the truth is going to be um, what I believe to be extremely simple, but is being denied. We want to speak truthfully in love. The purpose is to take biblical principles, and I use the word principles because there's no thou shalt accept or reject transgender population in your society so we're taking biblical principles and when we look at these biblical principles we need to apply them to this matter or any other matter for that matter if we're going to be sharing the gospel so that's kind of the intent of the sermon all right that said i wanted to share at least just three quotes to give you different perspectives and there's there's a number of perspectives about this issue. And you're going to be in one of these general perspectives, if, if, if not very close to it. Number one is the perspective from Adrienne Andrews. Adrienne Andrews, um, whew, she's an editor. She's also with, I think, is it Weber University? Um, she deals basically with uh, the civil rights, if I'm not mistaken. She wrote in a blog article in response to the American Family Association petition against Target. Because remember the one million petitions boycotting Target? This is in response. And so she wrote, there seems to be many underlying assumptions in this petition. First, that someone will, quote, feel like a woman or man today or any other day at random. We have fairly strong notions about gender identity in this country. Thus, when someone recognizes their biological features do not match their gender identity construction, it is not a feeling that occurs out of the blue. In other words, it's not willy-nilly. It's not like today I feel woman, tomorrow I feel man. The next day I feel neither male nor female. The following day I feel both male and female. And if that sounds crazy to you, these are identities, gender identities, that you can read on the list from various lists that basically you can get on Facebook. There's at least 58 of them. Second, 
that a transgender person is a pedophile, rapist, or attacker. This is a myth, if you will. This is an underlying assumption that a transgender person is a pedophile, rapist, or other attacker. And what they're saying is that's not necessarily true. And third, that transgender people must not need to use the restroom. Well, everyone has to use the restroom is the point. They're taking what many make assumptions about and trying to dispel those presumptuous um, attacks, if you will, against the transgender population. So that's from Adrian Andrews. Well, here's a statement from Walt Higher Hair. I don't know how to pronounce his name. He is a self-proclaimed former transgender male. In other words, born male, male body parts, later on in life, has a surgery, becomes a transgender female, and after years, I think it's maybe eight years or so, does another surgery, goes back to being male. He wrote because of what's going on, and particularly he was focusing on uh, Bruce slash Caitlyn Jenner. And basically in, in a couple of articles, and I, I printed it and I left it at home. I, I wanted to read some major points that, that he was bringing out. I won't read it now, but I'll send it to you guys if you want me to email it. Um, among some points about the LGBT, that is the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender um, population. Changing genders is short-term gain with long-term pain. He's writing from personal experience. Its consequences include early mortality, regret, mental illness, and suicide. And the article is going further on to say clinical studies would seem to confirm Heyer's conclusions. A review of more than 100 international medical studies of post-operative transgenders carried out in the UK in 2004 found no robust scientific evidence that gender reassignment surgery is clinically effective. What do you... What, the article and what the quotation from Mr. Hires is stating is that there was no benefit, long-term benefit, from someone who became a transgender male or female. And clinical studies are supporting that according to this article. Then you have just Joe Dad, Joshua Anderson in this case. After Target made public their policy... Uh, their policy was in effect before going public, by the way. But after going public, then came the firestorm of the petitions and remarks and so on and so forth. And this is one of them. And this is where I think some of you may feel this way, if not many of you will feel this way. If it's all about personal comfort, then let the trans folks use the family, rest, uh, family room. That's a no-brainer because they, they do have such. However, I don't want any man, and this is the part I'm focusing on, I don't want any man going into the ladies' room, especially if my daughter or wife are in there. I've actually read statements from fellow Christians similar to this second paragraph. Everyone's coming from different angles about this issue. You have a fear from a father of what might happen when you have a person who may use these policies or use what the Department of Justice or the Department of Education is, is strongly recommending upon our school districts. 
that you're going to have some person will take advantage and you'll have rape, molestation, so on and so forth that takes place in these bathrooms. And I believe that's a definite, um, it's not a possibility, it's a probability. It will happen at some point. What the numbers are, percentage-wise, we don't know. But again, just like you don't want to discriminate against any one person or a small population, you don't want to say, well, it's only a few handful of, of, and I use the term very intentionally, nut jobs that are going to harm people at some point, whether it's one or a thousand or more, we don't know. But it's going to happen. And the reason why it's going to happen is already happened. You have predators, regardless of what law is in place or not in place. So that's what we're talking about here. So you're having these issues, and everyone from different angles are talking about them. I asked the question, how many of you uh, do not know what transgender means? But sometimes I'm wondering if you make I know so much more now than I did before preparation of the sermon. And it is like swirling in my head. I tried to get as many of the 58 gender identities to name them. I had to do research on almost all of them. I'm not going to get into all the, the identities, but WebMD. You know it's got to be right because it's on the web, right? <laughs> WebMD. What it means to be transgender, this is from their website. It's the assigning someone's sex based on biology. Chromosomes, anatomy, and hormones. Okay? There it is. But a person's gender... The inner sense of being male, and I want to, there's the operative word, inner sense. The inner sense of being male, female, or both doesn't always match that sex. Transgender people say they were assigned a sex that isn't true to who they are. So again, I'm born with male body parts, the hormones, everything suggests I'm male, uh, biologically speaking, but I don't feel that way. I feel female. The Williams Institute says there are nearly 700,000 people living publicly as transgender in the U.S., each one unique, their journey personal. Some say that they are the opposite sex of what they're assigned at birth. Some feel, and again, another operative word, feel, they are both male and female. Still, others don't identify as gender either. Um, I'm showing my bias when I use the word operative and so on and so forth. I understand that. But I'm using the word feeling because that's exactly what's being said. It's a sense. It's a perception. It is a feeling. These are their words. And I wanted to bring those words out because when we're looking at truth, um, sometimes truth goes against our feelings. You know, if you call me a sinner and I don't feel like I'm a sinner, I'll get upset with you. And so we get into feelings and, uh, uh, regarding this matter. Without going into all 58, you just go on Facebook if you are a Facebook user. If you're not, you're not losing out. Um, but if you are and you wanted to go, 58 gender identities and counting. I heard as many as 71. You have something called C, uh, CIS, gender, right? Abbreviated to CIS. It's a term for people whose experience of their own gender agree with the sex they were assigned at birth. If that's not confusing, it means biologically I'm male and I feel male. That's all it means. You have CIS or cis male, cis man. You have trans male, trans man, all these different ways of saying male, feeling male, whether I am biologically male or not. It gets confusing. You even have two-spirit. 
I don't know what two-spirit is. I couldn't get to, it was taking too much time to study all them. But there's all kinds of identities. Here's the one I'm focusing on because the reality is here. Remember I quoted from, from um, this woman who was writing a blog post in response to the American Family um, Association. And she was saying, listen, you just don't feel male today and then maybe female tomorrow or vice versa and what have you. Well, there is a population within the transgender population that actually do. It's because it's part of the 58 identities. And they're called gender fluid. Gender fluid is where a person's gender identity changes between male, female, or other. And if you notice on government applications and, and even uh, job applications and so on and so forth, you're going to start seeing not just male and female, it's other now. That's the reality of where we are in our country. Flu gender fluid means today I feel male, and I can very well feel um, female tomorrow. And it doesn't have to be tomorrow, it could be later on today. I can feel neither male nor female the next day. And so I feel like a they or them or there. And you're beginning to see those pronouns being used or nouns being used in regard to, um, the, to the gender. I will feel both or neither, in other words. So you have what's called gender fluid. I spent that much time because I thought it was important. Because I believe I want us to have, as clear, in a short amount of time, as clear as possible identity, being sensitive to the transgender population about what's going on. So I hope you didn't mind my background on that. But when we look at the Bible, in the beginning, God made man. Genesis chapter 2, he made them male and female. Brad read for us in Matthew chapter uh, 10 verses 1 through, more, 1 through 4 and similar writing in Mark's gospel account is Mark chapter 10 verse 6 in the beginning God uh, in the beginning the God of creation made them male and female thousands of years however long in world history male and female that's it how we got from male and female to 58 gender identities is dumbfounding to me. But in trying to understand what is dumbfounding to me is the fact that today we live in an era where the lines are getting blurred about absolutes. In today's society, absolutes are getting less and less and less, and those lines get so blurry that I liken it into Judges chapter 21, verse 25. That in the days of Israel where there was no king, every man did what was right in his own eyes. It's stated throughout the book of Judges. There are people that, that would leave God. The people of God would leave him, leave their covenant relationship with him. And when they did that, it was all what they thought was right. It was a, a very fluid sense of morality and they would justify their actions go read the book of judges it was i feel during those periods of time so god's word from from me looking and reading it seems simple on the matter male female 
But when you look at like the human rights campaign, human rights campaign, they, they are like the auditors, if I can just use this loosely, the auditors of all the major companies around this country. And they look at human rights and seeing if, if this company is abiding by the um, various policies enacted, including the LGBT community. And so are you being discriminatory or are you um, upholding the laws of the land and the policies of the land with regard to the LGBT? The gays, uh, lesbians and gays, bisexual and transgender populations. And this is from the human rights campaign. One's innermost concept of self as male, female, a blend of both or neither. That's their words. How individuals perceive themselves and what they call themselves. That's the subjective definition of transgender. I say subjective because if you go to Facebook today, Facebook has those 58 genders. And they also have one that says, fill in the blank if you don't fit in any of these 58. So that's why the list continues to grow. It's subjective. Brethren. How do we react as Christians? Do you simply get your blood boiling and then you start stamping and, and you start dealing with um, what I call band-aid issues? We try to get at the heart of the problem and try to solve the problem. I heard it said as recently as yesterday, the word broken is no longer politically correct. So we cannot use the word broken. You know, if I say, you know, you come from a broken family, can't use that word. It's, um, it's too dis destructive to people's psyche. Brethren, got to call a spade a spade. We are a broken people. We're all sinners, right? Romans 3.23 says, we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And when we're talking about sin, it is no different than Jesus saying, I came to heal those who are what? Sick, synonymously broken. Sinners. That's why I came to save and heal. We're all sinners. We all have our own um, propensity to sin. And God is coming to this world because of the fact that we are sinners. Because we left him and we're let, when we leave him, we're left to our own desires. And we, when we get into our own desires, Romans chapter 1, you talk about creative. We're very creative in... in the way we express our flesh. And that's the thing that was being condemned in Romans chapter 1. We need to have a focus on solving the problem. And the problem is sin, brethren. Transgender is just an issue. Homosexuality is just an issue. Uh, adultery is just an issue. We, have, we can deal with all of those things. But the, the greater problem is there's sin. And Jesus came to put away sin... By going to the cross for us. While we do that. What sometimes happens is. We get caught up in all the details. And then we start uh, battling those very details. And we start losing sight. Of the real problem. So like for instance. I'll give you an illustration. Go to Deuteronomy 22. Real quick. Real quick. I know we're toward the end of the sermon. but So. Deuteronomy chapter 22. There's a number of sundry laws. 
And verse 5 says that a woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, nor shall a man, or, yeah, nor shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all who do so are an abomination to the Lord your God. And then someone comes along and says, uh, women, you, any of you wearing pants right now? And then you go to Ireland, any men wearing dresses right now? And we start doing that, and then if someone says, oh, not, okay, you're getting out of hell. Those are women's pants, not men's pants. And those skirts are for men. They, the design, all these things, you may not be aware in your culture, but it's for men. But we start going off of the real issue. The real issue is male, female. And are we going to accept male, female? And then when someone says, well, what about people that are born and they have um, both sex organs? What of a person and they just fill in the blank? God specifically said male, female. And by faith, not, it's not just faith. All we know is common sense. It really is common sense, but it, it just, it's an amazing thing that we get so caught up. Then we forget passages like Romans 10, 17, right? Faith comes by hearing the word of God. Mr. Otis likes to re- use that passage when it comes, when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, we accept it by faith. Other passages say that with regard to how the Holy Spirit dwells within us, right? By faith. By faith, we know male, female. We know that all scripture is from God, that is from God, is profitable for teaching, for correction, for reproving, for instruction in righteousness, all of it. And so we, we read God's word and we know these things or we reject them. And when we reject them, it is no different than what Paul was saying in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we're going to close with this passage. I want you to go to this passage. And there is a principle involved in this passage. Even if it's not dealing with transgenders, um, it's dealing with this concept of taking absolute truth and denying it. Taking the gospel, denying it. 2 Thessalonians 2. I want you to read this text. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, those are really harsh words to any person under any circumstance. But when you tell someone that they're, they're lost in sin and they're saying, oh, so you think you're the only one's going to be saved because you're Christian. So you're going to deny all the Buddhists, all the Hindus, all the Muslims. Jesus said... I am the way and the truth and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. Yes, Christianity is exclusive. It's absolute. Brethren, are you willing to stand for what's truth? What's absolute? Yes, there are matters that are gray. This isn't one of them, but we've made it one of them. 
When God says male or female and we start saying, no, there's, there's about 56 more, God. We've lost absolute. But we need to do it with a genuine love for the people that we're sharing the gospel with. Not from this. And I was talking to Cindy just before the sermon because um, she had posted something on Facebook about um, these people going in and, and praying with prostitutes and so on and so forth. Um, I asked her, said, if you were to have read that article three years ago, if, I hope you don't mind, Cindy, me using you as an example. Uh, how would you have viewed, viewed that article? She thought that article was very encouraging. And I shared how this Thanksgiving, we're going to go up on Dickerson Avenue, and we're going to share some Thanksgiving food with prostitutes. You guys can join me if you want. But I want to share the gospel with them. And... Three years ago, she said, I would have looked at this article and I thought anyone, any Christian that thought that that's what they would do, I would just shake my head like, no way. And yet three years later, she's like, this is so encouraging. And I was even more encouraged because other Christians were sharing this article. The same thing is true when, when we were dealing with homosexuality. And Julie, can I use you as an example? From two, three years ago with Dana? Okay. So... I preached on homosexuality, and Julie comes up to me and says, I'm guilty of looking down upon my neighbor across the street. And because she changed the way she looked at her neighbor, she was able to share the gospel with her neighbor, who turned to the Lord. She may have rejected his teaching about homosexuality at some later point, but she obeyed the gospel. She is your sister in Christ. What I'm saying, brethren, is, how we look at people of this world will determine whether or not we're going to share the gospel with all the world or some of the world. And listen, the world's not getting any nicer or more quote-unquote righteous. It is the world. It is wicked. It is evil. Rejects truth. We have got to be a shining light upholding truth. And that's what I hope we're going to do. But I hope we'll do it in the spirit of genuinely loving sinners. I hope that's what you come away with this sermon. I hope it gives you some clarity over what's going on in our country. And if you want to um, look, in the notes section of the PowerPoint, when it gets uploaded to the website, we'll have all the references. You can read all the articles and everything. Um, and there's a lot more of them. But understand that you're just dealing with sinners of whom we were we may, we may still be guilty of sin, but we're not sinners. We're saved from sin. Thanks be to God. But we're no better. We may be better off, but we're no better than our precious neighbors whose souls are in jeopardy, who need to receive truth, not reject it. And that comes by the way we shine our lights when we share the gospel. Mark said at the very, uh, when he was giving the Lord's Supper talk, that at the end I would give an invitation because that's our tradition, right? If you're here and you have not been washed in the blood of Jesus, the song that you're going to sing is asking you that very question. Are you washed in his blood? If you're not, we want you to be. We want you to give up your view of right and wrong and succumb to your king, your teacher, your master, Jesus Christ, your savior, who's going to redeem you from your sins and wash your sins away through his precious blood.
you're identified with him, identified being in Christ when you're baptized into his death. And then you rise to walk in newness of life as you come out of that watery grave, submitting your life to him. And it may take a lifelong of change. You may struggle with certain sins, and it may be with gender identity. You may be here and no one knows that you struggle with this. Or maybe you don't struggle with it. You just believe that you are a male or female with biological body parts that would be saying differently. But your Savior loves you once you saved. Brethren, if you, your heart is, is not right with God. This invitation is not just wrote, just say it over and over every, every single sermon. It's a genuine invitation that we can pray with you, we can pray for you. Take advantage of that. It's for your benefit and for our benefit as brothers and sisters of fellowship with one another. Take advantage of it right now together we stand and sing.